0: Amen. Good morning, church. How are we doing? All right. There's four of you that are good. There's coffee for the rest of y'all right over there on that ledge, all right? Today is an amazing day that God has given to us. We're here to celebrate Him, not only here in the church, but online and the great tools He's blessed us with that we're able to do that. So we want you to know that we understand today's Father's Day, and we know that not all dads are good examples. We also know that many have been damaged, abandoned, and abused by that person That would be called Father. (laughs) But I want you to know that our Heavenly Father loves you, and He is the healer and the restorer of all things. So as we consider where we are today, and we look at what's happening around us and what God wants to say to us, that this day as we set it aside as a national holiday has only been recognized since 1972. I don't know if you know that or not. But it's only been a holiday in the United States since 1972. And it's kind of interesting that we as a nation only recognized Father's Day in 1972 when we've been practicing Mother's Day since the early 1900s. And not only that, but if you look in history, which I did because I wanted to find out what exactly this is all about, that you'll find that the European nations began celebrating Father's Day back in the 1500s. So, when we come to the United States, you think of most of the people and where they come from. It's like, why is it that we started Father's Day uh, as a national holiday in 1972 when Mother's Day was recognized as a national holiday back in 1914? So, I wanted to know what's the deal and where this comes from because, you know, obviously there's something happening. And what I found out was the guys didn't want it. <laughs> <laughs> Men didn't want this holiday, and here's why. History tells us two main reasons why Father's Day was not accepted or embraced fully for so many years. First reason was, they saw it as a feminine celebration because of Mother's Day. Mother's Day was about flowers and gifts, and guys were like, man, we're macho, we don't want that, we don't want anything that's close to that, so we don't even want to celebrate it. That was one of the reasons. Here's the main one. You ready for this one? Back then, women didn't work, by and large, right? So the men didn't want to have a day where they were obligated to buy a gift, which they were going to have to pay for anyway. (laughs) And they saw it as a gimmick to get their money. (laughs) So y'all heard this phrase, a hallmark holiday? You know what that means, right? It's been created to get us to spend money because they want it from us. So dads... For many years saw this holiday as just a way to get to their wallet, so they resented it. <laughs> okay, so that's probably the more realistic aspect of why it was rejected by most men. But as we look at this, I want you to hear something that's pretty cool as we look at the evolution of how this came about. There was this young lady who was one of six children raised by a single parent father, And understanding all the issues that he dealt with in his life and all the complications of life and all that he had to go through to do this, her name was Sonora Smart Dodd, by the way. She went to her church. And in those days, uh, the YMCA was actually what it was created to be. Young Men's Christian Association. That's what it really was. It was a Christian organization about Jesus. Uh, It's changed through the years. Anytime, you know, the world gets involved in stuff, Jesus disappears. So... Back then, it was actually a Christian association. So she went to the leaders of the YMCA and to her pastor and said, you know, we need to celebrate like we do Mother's Day for fathers because my father was an amazing man of God who raised us six kids and took care of us on his own. So the first time this day in history was celebrated was in 1908. This lady... Uh, had the church and the church agreed in the YMCA. And what they did is they provided red roses on the lapel of the men whose fathers were living and white roses on the lapel of, the father, of the, all the men whose fathers were dead. And so they signified that in that context and they honored them in the church and they began to preach messages directed in that way to just to help and guide fathers. In 1916, President Woodrow Wilson and his family observed the day as a day to recognize dads, even though it wasn't a national holiday. Now, there's a reason why we're going through this history, so stay with me. This applies to all of us that are here, men and women alike. In 1924, President Calvin Coolidge signed a resolution in favor of Father's Day. Now, remember this. It has to be an act of the president and Congress and all them to agree to make something a national holiday. But he put a resolution forward in favor of Father's Day, but didn't declare it for what it is. But here's a part of the resolution that you need to hear. This was written in 1924 by our president, and here's what it said. To establish more intimate relations between fathers and their children and to impress upon fathers the full measure of their obligations. 1924. So the president is saying like something's going on in our culture and we need to be aware of it and there's something happening where there's disassociation between fathers and their families. Okay, fast forward 1966. President Lyndon Johnson signed an executive order that the holiday be celebrated on the third Sunday of June but it was still not a national holiday. Not until 1972 when uh, President... Richard Nixon signed it as a day of uh, holiday nationally. So, uh, by the way, uh, Sonora lived to see that day happen. She died at 96 and was able to celebrate this day uh, for her father in our country for six years before she went to be with Jesus. Something is happening in our nation. Something was going on. There was an obvious disconnect between fathers and their families between fathers and their wives. Moms and dads were beginning to separate and families were beginning to fall apart. Now, as we look back in history, we know this to be true. You all know this. As humanity began in the very beginning all the way through up until the 1700s, Families lived in, on farms and ranches. They had to have agriculture, animals. They traded in markets, but they lived on what is like farms, you know? They had cities and stuff, but everybody had to do for themselves. So the family worked together on those farms and ranches. The first um, industrial revolution took place in the late 1700s and ran through the 1840s, 50s. In the first industrial revolution that took place, there began a movement towards mass manufacturing away from mom sewing the clothes, dad going out and planting, feeding the animals and all that, started to develop little shops where people started to make those clothes and sell them in retail and things. So the industrial revolution, which was the first one, began to take place. 1870 to 1914, Things began to change in an incredible way in our world as the second industrial revolution took place. What happened was the development of the first industrial revolution began to have people connect the dots and say, guess what, we could make these things faster. And Henry Ford made the assembly line where they built cars and everything started to be mass produced. Then there was need for workers. So the calls went out. And men could make more money in the factory than they could on the farm. So there was this pull towards all the factories and the development of factories. And people started to move into those facilities and do that job. What was happening was, this is not, I'm not, by the way, I'm not promoting that we go back to farms and leave the cities. Just hear me through. This is what happened. Men began to go work long hours in factories and in businesses why the women were home with the kids. And there began a separation of the family. Mom became all about the kids. Dad became all about the job. Enter into World War I, followed by World War II. Because the Industrial Revolution had taken place, there was a need for equipment for war. All these things that needed to be mass-produced, Men were drafted and taken off into battle. Jobs were needed to be filled. Therefore, women, by and large, had to step into that role out of need and necessity to help with the promotion of what was needed in the war that was happening around the world. So women began entering the factories and the workplaces. Ends of the wars comes. Men and women begin to work together. Think about this now, just again. This is history. It's just what happened. It's happening today. So this guy goes to work, and he works next to that guy's wife. His wife goes to work, and she goes and works next to that woman's husband. And pretty soon, we're spending more time with people who are not our family and spouse than we are family and spouse. Relationships begin to happen outside of the marriage unit. Stress is high because of the demands upon homes and finances and family. So when the father comes home, he's already burned out from the day. He's spent his words sharing with some other woman. And he comes into the house that's got some pressure in it and the kids that are there. And he views the home as an issue, not as a responsibility. What we've done is we've taken this entire thing and we've created this dysfunction in our culture and our society, right? Okay. So there's this growing disconnect that's happening in our homes. But because our nation was formed upon biblical principles, godly guidelines, all of the people in our culture knew they were not to get divorced. Look, I'm just telling you something. In my, I'm 57 years old, and I know this to be true because I lived it. People did not get divorced because they understood they made a covenant with that person and with God till death do us part. Therefore, people that didn't even go to church, which most people did, as a matter of fact, in my lifetime, nothing was open but church on Sundays. Okay? People went to church... And they went understanding God was real and it was the God of the Bible and He's the one that formed the the reality of the structure of our nation. Therefore, even though there was dysfunction and brokenness in the homes, people didn't get divorced, even in society, because they understood the commitment they made was not just to that person, but was to God. But what was happening was, there was major dysfunction in the home. Not many people knew what it meant to have a relationship or marriage. The church, by and large, was silent about what it meant to be married, have a relationship, what a sex life looked like under godly principles, and so things were just left to just the chaos and the disorder that was functioning, and everybody would put their best face forward and try and look like everything was okay when everything was broken. This dysfunction in the home continued our society began to just degenerate. And in the early 60s, we began to remove God from our nation. From every institution, we began to tell Him to leave. Governments, schools, courthouses, families, society as a whole, and we began to remove Him, tell Him to go away. So as God, being the gentleman that He is, stepped away, the dysfunction continued to grow and the brokenness of our lives began to come to the surface. To the point where people started to not care what other people thought, and they began to just do it anyway. Screw it. People began to be divorced. When I was a kid, I don't know that I knew anybody. I'm talking about when I was a little kid that was divorced. I'm talking about all my friends, school, all my. Nobody. I didn't know anybody. Okay, I'm not that old, guys. I'm not that old. When you think about where we are today, where today, it's hard to find people that haven't been. Do you understand the brokenness of our culture and what's taken place as we've seen this come to the surface where we no longer have recognized God's authority in our lives over how we live our lives? and how we function. Therefore, we have told God to leave and we'll handle our marriages. We'll handle our homes. We'll handle our relationships. You just be God and I'll see you when I see you. Seriously, that's how we've handled it. Prior to that moment, divorce was the last thought We'll push through whatever it takes. Today, (laughs) and okay, how about if we do it this way? I'm trying to not say the wrong words, so. Not only have we accepted divorce as completely normal, but we've actually, many of us have just said, screw the whole institution of marriage. I don't want to get involved in that because it's so jacked up. We'll just live together for a while. Then we can just move on to the next person. We've ignored the whole institution of what God designed in the very beginning and what His plan for us in relationship is. And that's why we have the brokenness we do. So, not only did I not know people that were divorced, but then started to see it on every hand. Turn around, it's this person, this person. Then it started happening in the church. The church didn't handle it well, by the way. Just want you to, I confess that right now. The church handled that situation horribly, by and large, where they would kick people out. and It's like ridiculous, man. It's like the unforgivable sin. God forgives everything. Okay, the church did not handle it well. We never addressed it well. We don't handle things very well as a church. We try to ignore stuff and just try and make sure that everything feels and looks right on Sundays. That's been the history of the church. Okay. Now, I you know when I bring up divorce that, like I said, I don't know hardly anybody that's not been divorced that's my age. So I know it's like, a, uh-oh, what's he saying? What are we talking about here? And I know it's difficult to talk about and to hear about and that it's an issue. But until we address our issues and the brokenness of where we are, And allow God to come in and heal us. There's no hope for us in getting better as we progress. And we cannot ignore the areas of our life that are broken while we work on the areas that we like to work on. We can ignore things and just act like they're not happening. But the fact of the matter is, the brokenness and dysfunction that is rampant in our culture and in our church cannot be ignored. we're going to be whole and turn to god and have god do something in our lives the way that he wants to we have got to align our lives to what he says and stop trying to get him to align to what we say and as a church as a whole in these united states we are constantly trying to bend god's word to fit our lifestyle instead of looking to god's word to create our lifestyle There's a problem. And when we bring up stuff like this, we're just like, "Ah, that's a radical. He's crazy. He doesn't know nothing. That doesn't apply to me. We make every excuse we can to push away what we don't want to hear because we're broken. And we don't want to face that brokenness because it hurts. Okay. Okay. I also understand this because I am a pastor and I've been a pastor for over 30 years and I've lived through this brokenness of our culture and people in the church get divorced and people in our church right now are going through it I'm not singling anybody out I just want you to hear me please usually people tell me that they're getting divorced when it's actually happening they don't come to God and say, we're broken, we're screwed up, something's wrong in our marriage. They come and say, yeah, just want you to know we're getting divorced. It's like, what? Why? What are you doing? As soon as someone starts to, please again hear me, this is like across the board for 30 some years. We're getting divorced. And immediately they want to tell me why. I want you to hear that. Immediately, once someone tells me, we're getting a divorce and I want to tell you why if you hear my story you'll understand if you know the situation you'll understand okay I'll be honest with you I don't want to hear the details of your divorce I'm, I'm here to help you don't misunderstand what I'm saying right now the truth of the matter is we already know that it's against God's laws we know the covenant we made and so we're trying to justify and make excuse for what we're doing that's why people want to tell me. Now, that's a pretty harsh statement. I get it. But I already know because I've walked through life with so many people. When we have an issue in our life, we want to justify and we want to validate our decision. Therefore, we come forth with the reasons and we've already created the list of why, when, and now we've come to the conclusion of the matter that this is okay, right? Can we just say yes to that? I mean, okay, you don't have to, but what's happened is the institution of the family, marriage, the relationship of a husband and a wife, and father and children, uh, father and mother to their children, has been ravaged in our country. It's been ravaged it is a spiritual battlefield and there are bodies everywhere and the church has just been silent we don't want to talk about subjects that people are uncomfortable with because we want to make sure they come back next sunday right. Right. we don't want you to feel bad about yourself because we're trying to build you up Look, I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad. God has something to say to us and until we align ourselves with him in every area of our life, our brokenness will continue and we will live in our brokenness and our wounds, our shame, and we will be wounded. Now, last week, when we were talking about the message that God brought to us, remember, said if it doesn't come to the center and the focus on Jesus, there's something wrong with the message. And so we're bringing this directly to Jesus right now. This message must look to Him right now. And I want to read you scriptures about this very dysfunctional brokenness that is present in our culture and how Jesus addressed it. Matthew 19. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap Him with this question. This is them asking Jesus about this subject, this very subject we're talking about. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? <laughs> come on, validate me. Right? <laughs> come on. That's what they're saying. Like, come on, we're going to trap him now. What are you going to do? De- what are you going to do? See, divorce has been around since Genesis, just so you know. It's not something new. All right, but let's see what God's word says about this. You ready? Here's Jesus again. What does he do? He turns right back to Scripture. Haven't you read the scriptures? Why are you even asking? Don't you know what God says? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus said? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and has joined his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. When Kim and I said I do in 1983, at that altar before God, God saw us no longer as Dave and Kim, but as Dave Kim. He united us as one, and He views us that way right then and there. God sees us that way. No matter how anybody else sees me, no matter how anybody else sees her, no matter what culture says about us, He sees us as one. God's Word declares this. Jesus said, look, you're no longer two. You're one, and nobody better mess with that. Nobody. Separate what God joins. Man, this is a serious moment. This is like in your face stuff. So then, here's their response to Jesus. Then, why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. But it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. Wow. So Jesus does a deal with this. And he says, I want you to understand how it is and what God sees it and how God sees it. Now, as we look at that and we see that going on, remember, this is a discussion that Jesus is having with the Pharisees, the leaders of the church, those spiritual authorities in the community. The disciples are listening to this conversation and they're a little freaked out. They're like, later um like jesus you know like seriously that's the way it is this is what they said to him listen to this this is pretty amazing his disciples then said to him if this is the case it's better not to marry <laughs> he's like you mean we're stuck with her the rest of our lives there's no way out are you kidding better to stay single then because i didn't realize i was getting into something that was for my whole life for real listen church listen to what they're saying it's like are you kidding me no that's what god's saying like this is a commitment where you're all in there's no way out this is something where you're going in all the way until death And the only way out of it, God allowed, only because of the hard-heartedness, our unwillingness to forgive, was adultery. But God didn't intend for that to even end a marriage. See, where Jesus is going right here, church, we need to understand what He is addressing is the hard-heartedness of humanity and our unwillingness to forgive, to hold people accountable for their actions, no matter what. But Moses permitted it. God said, let no man separate what I have done. So you know how we are, church? We're looking for ways around that. So that's why I'm telling you, the reason why people have started to get live together and not have a marriage or a commitment before God is so that we can bypass the, the covenant and then I'm not guilty. You're guilty. Yep. <laughs> we have a hard heart. And what that is, is an absence of forgiveness. We're unwilling to forgive that we have been wronged. And I want you to see that the main issue that is being dealt with here is our unwillingness to forgive a wrong against us. The issue of hard-heartedness, unwillingness to forgive, is what is destroying us. It's what's breaking apart families. It's what's breaking apart the institution of the marriage. It's what's breaking apart our churches, our homes, and our communities. Unforgiveness is what's breaking apart our nation. Church, the problem with our world is unforgiveness. We won't forgive anyone for anything because you wronged me and you need to pay. Hardheartedness. Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. It is the number one problem and the core issue of the human race. It's what's wrong with us. We don't want to forgive because we don't want to let them off the hook. We want to hold them accountable for their actions. We don't want them to get away with it. Forgiveness is the only avenue to healing. Forgiveness is the only avenue to restoration. Forgiveness is the only avenue to wholeness. It's the only way we can make right. Forgiveness is the whole thing. What we are seeing in our society, our cities, our homes, and everything, is an absolute demonstration of the brokenness that is a result of our unforgiveness. Forgiveness means freedom. Church, We know this. Have you received Jesus as your Savior? You've been forgiven. When you were forgiven, you entered a life of freedom. You know that. You experienced something that you didn't deserve, but it was given. So let me ask you. Have you forgiven your ex? As you've forgiven your ex, have you forgiven yourself, and have you asked forgiveness? See, here's the issue. It's oftentimes when we come into the divorce, we've validated ourselves and created this list of reasons. Even adultery, whatever. I don't, I mean, I care, but what I'm saying is whatever our reasons. And we validate to the point where they're the guilty party. I mean, in all my years of being a pastor, I could cone on one hand where someone said, you know what, I created the whole problem. We got divorced and it was all me. No. No. <laughs> In one hand, I could do that. See, so we've created this reason. We've come to the conclusion that it's okay. It's validated. I'm right in this. And listen, I, churches have embraced the same thing. We've, we've gone beyond God's word. I want you to know this. Like denominations, independent churches, and everybody. We've validated a divorce for people, and we've gone beyond God's word. We've said, yes, adultery is a reason you can get divorce, but then also, so is this, and so is this, and so is this. And we began to create a validation of reasons why it's okay to be divorced. When God's word says there's only one. And the only reason why there's one is because we're unwilling to forgive, but God wants us to forgive and be whole. Okay, let's go beyond marriage for a moment. Let's talk about the brokenness of our lives and the reconciliation that is needed. See, racial reconciliation, the only way it can happen, like I told you last week, it's not a skin problem, it's a sin problem. And the only way racial reconciliation can happen is through forgiveness as well. See, when we hold on to unforgiveness, there's no way to be healed. Can't happen. Until we forgive and let go, nothing is going to change. See, every single wrong in our culture, every single wrong in our lives, every single thing that is wrong in this world can only be made right through forgiveness. <laughs> See, there's people in this room. As I said earlier, I, I, Father's Day and Mother's Day are hard days. There's very few people that can sit here and say, man, you know, my dad was everything he ought to be. You know what I mean? Like, and the same thing for moms. It's because we're broken. And we've, we've lived in that brokenness, and therefore we've, we've passed on that brokenness to our children. And, and there's people, I know this, in this room, listening online and joining us in service, who have been abused, molested, abandoned, wounded, by dads, by moms, by grandparents, by relatives, by friends of the family, by pastors, by church leaders. And this like this abuse and brokenness has gone everywhere. And the church tries to like validate or push aside. And not deal with and avoid and create. And the truth of the matter is, the reason why all that exists is because of sin. And Jesus is the only answer to that. And the only way for us to get hold. Those of us who have been abused and and neglected and been taken advantage of and all that. The only way is through forgiveness. But man, it's so hard. The wounds are so deep that we don't want to forgive because I hurt. My life has been impacted. I've been changed as a result of their sin in my life. And I don't want to forgive them because I want to hold them accountable because I hurt. We're damaged. We're hurting. And as a result, we begin to develop a hard heart. That's what God's talking to us about, you know is that once we allow unforgiveness to be in us, our heart begins to harden. It affects our decisions. It affects our decisions, actions, and life direction. So I want to read to you from Romans chapter 3. And here's the core of everything as we're looking at this. In Romans chapter 3, church But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We fall short of God's glorious standard. Listen to this next statement. It's so beautiful. Yet, God, <laughs> in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. Man, that is amazing. Church, that's so awesome. What he's saying to us is, look, this act of forgiveness is a complete act of God. It's something he himself instituted for us because all of us have broken his law. Every one of us have offended God. We have broken what he told us to do everyone in this room everyone online everyone in this world for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory but guess what God did God said I want to meet you in your brokenness I want to come to you and give you something you can't get any other way what I am doing by my grace and mercy is offering you forgiveness right there in your brokenness oh my goodness man God let that sink into us see there's nothing that we can develop or do he created it it was god's institution that he designed in response to our offense to him you hear that we have offended god we have violated god we have walked against god willingly and knowingly and yet god and yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. He does it for us. <sighs> Therefore, I, if you've received God's forgiveness in your life and you have a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ, see, then God says something to us. We must approach forgiveness in the same manner as God. having received this forgiveness ourselves, we must forgive the same way. We must be the institution of forgiveness in the act of forgiving, whether or not the individual asks or acts to be a part of it. For God so loved the world. So, listen, let's put this spiritually speaking and then apply it in our lives in every other area. See, I'm using myself. Like, I knew what God wanted from me, and I told Him no. I blatantly told God no. (laughs) You know that God had the offer of forgiveness, the work done, and was forgiving even my rejection of Him. While I was rejecting him, and that not only had he offered and instituted forgiveness for Dave, but even in my rejection, he relentlessly pursued me by the Holy Spirit, calling me to meet him where he was in forgiveness. Church, I'm talking to those of us who are Christians. You've been wronged, you have wronged others. And until we embrace this fullness of that forgiveness that God has called us to, we will continue in brokenness and nothing will change. Jesus, when the disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. You know, in the midst of that prayer, you know what Jesus said, right? Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who've sinned against us. Jesus teaching us to pray is saying to us as we communicate with God in that intimate relationship of prayer, we are saying to God, forgive me the way I'm forgiving everybody around me. After that teaching of the prayer, you know this, we've talked about it multiple times as you look in verse 14. Following the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, If you forgive those who sin against you, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. (laughs) It's crazy. See, we're so unwilling to forgive others. But we want God to wipe the whole slate clean. I don't want nothing between me and God. And therefore, God, forgive me. Please, God, forgive me. I want to be whole. And then this person offends me, and it's like, screw you. I don't talk to them. I'm not going to be around them because they wronged me. I, I My parents were horrible parents. I'm not talking about mine personally. I'm talking about in general. My parents abandoned me. They did this. I... I psh- I want nothing to do with them. I won't forgive them. (laughs) Have you forgiven as you've been forgiven? Have you received this amazing gift that God made possible for us through Jesus Christ? Are you a born again Christian today? Have you turned from your sin, turned to God and are you walking in that new life? I want to hear something if you are. Then you have experienced exactly what God wants us to give to others. The absolute freedom that God restores us, makes us whole, and releases us of everything we've done wrong. You've received that. That's amazing. It's something He does for us and we should celebrate that. Man, every time we come into church, you don't have to be a charismatic type personality. You ought to get a little excited about what God's done for your life. You're guilty. I'm guilty. And yet He, in His amazing grace, forgives me. What right do I have when I have offended the Creator of the universe to hold something against you, my human sister, because you wronged me? What right do I have to hold my wife to a standard of unforgiveness because she's not doing it the way I want her to do it. Church, the reality of what God has called us into is this incredible relationship with Him that He wants to show to the world by having it fleshed out in our lives. Forgiveness and grace and mercy. Love in action. Have you forgiven the people that have wronged you? Man, before you just like, oh yeah, I'm forgiving everybody, you probably should ask the Spirit of God to talk to you about that. Have you asked to be forgiven of those you've wronged? Just think for a minute how you've, how we've validated our actions towards other people the words we've said, the things we've done. Come on, man, we can, you know this, we can justify when we're, like, blatantly wrong. When Kim and I, early in our marriage, you know, we would have a disagreement about something. Um, you know, let me, I want to say this the right way. So, I didn't like the way my dad treated my mom right you know that I told you that and I saw myself acting like him because he mentored me I, I was given this imprint as a child of talking down to your wife and all that and so when Kim and I got married as much as I disliked my father for what he did I found myself treating Kim the same way he did my mom Man, that made me mad inside, but it didn't stop me. It didn't stop me from the way I talked to her. Even though I felt inside, you're being just like your dad. And I was like, wait a minute, there's a reason she's wrong. I would justify the words and the actions because she needed to change. Change. That was going on up here. And the only way that these could come out and I could live that way was, see, listen, I'm I'm wanting to hear me right because, see, inside of my heart, I was validating and justifying my behavior based on her behavior on my judgment in every situation. It was not okay. I didn't like it. Obviously, she didn't like it. She didn't have the same personality as my mom where she just took it. There was conflict in the home. There was a problem in our relationship. That problem was not Kim. That problem was Dave. That problem was dysfunction and brokenness that was modeled in my life that I was now fleshing out in my own life. <laughs> like, I would go to God and say, God, I want to change. Listen to this. Listen to me. Please hear this. God, change me. God, make me different. Of course God wants me different and wants to change me. Of course he does. But he's not going to just grab me and make me something different just because I'm asking him to change me. When he's saying, Dave, I want you to change too. And this is what needs to change in you. You need to start submitting your tongue to me. You need to surrender that stuff. You need to forgive your father for the way he treated your mother. What does that have to do with anything? I want you to change me. I want you to forgive him. But I don't want to forgive him. I hated the way he treated my mom. That has nothing to do with it, Dave. Forgive him. Okay, God, I forgive him. (laughs) Yeah. Now change me. I'm a new man. took a while to change those behaviors in my life church it took a surrender of myself it took me being willing to face my brokenness the fact that a lot of the ways that i viewed my dad was my own anger and resentment towards him and so as i released my father dave began to be released i did some physical things which i told you before i told kim call me larry when i start acting like that that's my dad's name So that i'll change so that I have to step back. So when she would call me larry Like I just want you to know the first few times I was not okay with that (laughs) Everything inside of me said no, that's not larry. You're screwed up All right. That was wrong inside of me, right? I'm serious. I've said that to you before So when she would say larry, I was like you're taking advantage of this moment You're just trying to be okay with what you're doing and it's not okay and you need to change not me That was what was going on. But because I wanted God to change me and I didn't want to continue in that brokenness, I did not want to imprint my sons with that way of treating a woman. I had to walk away from her physically and say, God, everything inside of me wants to go back there and tell her why she's wrong. But I got to change. God, I, I want you to change me and I'm submitting to you right now. And I would talk to him. And I would ask him. And and I'm telling you, it took a lot of Larry's (laughs) to finally get to a place where that wasn't my first reaction. Today, I mean, it's a rare day that I ever have that reaction. Because God is at work in my... I'm not... Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying I'm the perfect husband or I've arrived. Don't misunderstand me. I'm saying like that simple behavioral change has taken place because I submitted myself to God and I wanted that healing and change in my life. I want you to know that you may have come to God for your brokenness many times. This is the point. You may have come to Him and said, Lord, I I want you to forgive me. I want you to change me. I want this to be different. And you walked out and nothing's any different. Remember the message last week where we said we must repent and turn to God That's the key to this whole thing. See, I can come to him and say, God, I forgive them. I let them go. You know how many times you've forgiven those people that are wrong in your life? You know what I mean? But then when you see them, you're like, "Mm." (laughs) when their name comes up, you're like, I hate you. Right? That's not forgiveness. So something has to change in me. Something has to change in me. I actually have to forgive them the way God's forgiven me. And this is what God says to us. He, in an act of his mercy and grace, does not hold our sin against us. When he sees me, he does not see me as that young man who said, get away from me. I don't like you. I don't want you in my life. He doesn't see any of that. He has chosen to forgive me and take all of that past Dave and throw it away. And he sees me new. I have a brand new start with him. I have a new beginning and a new life because I've turned towards him. And so God's saying, now let's begin to walk in this newness so that I can make you whole, Dave, because you're a mess. You're broken. You're dysfunctional. You've got these issues in your life. Let me help you. And that's what God is inviting us into this journey. But I want you to know it starts and it ends in forgiveness. You can't hold it in your heart. Church, we can't hold it in our heart. Have you forgiven? Have you forgiven yourself? Sometimes we're the hardest one to forgive. Like, especially if we're the perpetrator. I'm like, how can we ever forgive ourselves? For what we did. This amazing God wants us to not only understand His forgiveness for us, but His forgiveness to us. And the fact that I can be forgiven and I can forgive myself and release all that brokenness. All of it. And behold, would you stand with me? This altar's open. If the Spirit of God's calling you to repentance, please come. Don't wait. It doesn't matter what people think or what. Yeah, just come to Him. This amazing God is offering forgiveness to you, but he's also wanting to offer forgiveness through you. Please respond to him today. Please respond to him today. God, we've um, repented so many times and said we're sorry and we not want to change, but today, God, we want to step into forgiveness and we want to release unforgiveness. We, need, we, we want to step into the fullness. God, we, we need healing. We need our dysfunction to become function. We need the brokenness of our homes and our families and our lives to become whole. That can only happen through you, Lord. It can only happen by living and aligning our lives according to what you say. And so, God, here we are, coming to you again. Thank you. Thank you for your mercy, God. Thank you for your mercy. May we extend that mercy to those around us. We pray. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. If you need to stay at the altar, you stay here. Church, God bless you. Have a happy Father's Day. You can it out these side doors. Thanks so much for being.